Hello and welcome to episode number 558 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and with me today is Chels, who is on TikTok as Chels Ebooks. Chels has been doing a series debunking the myths of book talk. And let me tell you, when people say everything old is new again, myths about the sales power of new forms of social media are recycled with every new platform, I swear to God. So we are going to debunk some myths about romance and TikTok. And we're going to talk about what Chels really likes about TikTok, too. Plus, we talk about classic romances and even more classic cover art. I will have all of the links, as usual, in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. Hello, and thank you to the Patreon community. You're keeping me going. I deeply appreciate it. If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge, well, every episode has a transcript because of you. Thank you, Garlic Knitter. And every episode keeps coming every week. Plus, if you're a Patreon member, you get bonus episodes and a lovely, lovely Discord and really fun people to talk to. If you would like to join the Patreon community, it would be most awesome if you did. And speaking of, I have a compliment. Yay! This compliment is for Elise. Elise, you have a fan club. It is entirely made up of the happiest manatees bobbing along in the warmest blue waters, and they all think you are fabulous. If you would like a compliment of your very own, please look at patreon.com slash smartpitches. Take a look at all the different tour, tours, tours. No, there's no tours. Tears. Yes, there are tears. And a special hello to Daphne, who is one of the newest members of our Patreon community. This episode is brought to you in part by my favorite comfortable washable shoes, Rothy's. Now that April is here and it's Earth Month, I am finally going to commit to cleaning out my closet. I pinky swear that I'm going to do it. Am I going to get rid of any of my six pair of Rothy's? Absolutely, I am not. I can refresh my clothing as much as I want. I can donate all the items that have life left in them, but my collection of Rothy's is not going anywhere. Every Rothy's style is woven with sustainable signature thread made from recycled materials, which makes them soft and flexible. Plus, they look and feel great right out of the box with no break-in period. Whenever I wear them, I am comfortable and I look a little dressed up, which is the greatest combo for me. And there are so many options. I've tried almost all of them. Ask me ask me about any of these shoes. I have the flat. I have the point. I have the loafer. I have the lace-up sneaker. And I wear them every time I fly. They're versatile and they come in so many colors and they're all washable. If they get dirty, I just toss them in the washing machine and they look brand new. Even my points that are six or seven years old at this point look great. For stylish and sustainable shoes, shop Rothy's. Get 20% off your first purchase at rothys.com slash Sarah. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Sarah. This episode is brought to you in part by Lumi Deodorant as well. It is spring, which means the very mild winter we had turned around and got very warm and very humid very fast. Thankfully, Lumi Deodorant makes it easy to feel dry and comfortable with wonderful scents to choose from. Lumi is a uniquely formulated pH-balanced deodorant that was developed by an OBGYN. It's aluminum-free, skin-safe, and clinically proven to control odor anywhere on your body for up to 72 hours. And heads up, new customers get $5 off Lumi's starter pack with code Sarah at lumideodorant.com. And not only do I like Lumi, but my teenagers do as well. One took the deodorant wipes for school, particularly for after gym class. And the report was, quote, Mom, these are so great and they don't smell weird. (laughs) How does it work? Well, some products try to mask odor with a fragrance. But Lumi is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. It's like a pre-odorant. It's a first of its kind product. It was designed to be safe to use anywhere on your body, even your feet. Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, 
cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash and a package of deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code Sarah at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com, L-U-M-E, and use code Sarah. This episode is brought to you by my favorite nerdy vitamin, Ritual. Perfection is impossible, so please let yourself off the hook with Ritual. Ritual knows it's almost impossible to get every nutrient you need 100% of the time. So they've made a multivitamin that helps you complete any gaps to support your health. As I said, I am very much a set it and forget it kind of person. I like solutions that are easy. I like solutions that I can trust. And I especially like solutions I do not have to think about because I never know what day or year it is. I did have to ask myself earlier if it was still 2023 and apparently it is. Yes. I like Ritual because I never have to remember to order more. And I know what each ingredient is and where it comes from inside the Essential for Women 18 Plus because they have a traceable supply chain. The Essential for Women is also one of the few women's multis that's USP verified, meaning what's on the label is what is in the formula. It's also soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. I really like my nerdy vitamin. Instead of striving for perfect health, aim for supporting foundational health. And I have great news. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash Sarah to start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. All right, are you ready to talk about book talk? We're going to talk about book talk. We're going to do that on with my conversation with Chels. Uh, So my name is Chels. Uh, I'm a writer who's primarily interested in romance, the history of romance, publishing, and social media. Uh, I'm probably most well-known for TikTok. I have a book talk account under the username Chels underscore eBooks. And there I focus on old school historical romance, romance history, and cover art. Uh, I also have a Substack where I write about romance and romance history and pop culture. It's called The Loose Cravat. Uh, I love all of those things. I have such a thing. Um, I also love cover art, as you might imagine. I'm a big fan. And I love seeing how the visual representation of romance has changed and yet how some elements remain the same. I do, I do miss with all of the um, illustrated and cartoon covers. I Mm. really miss like animals just freaking out in the background of whatever the couple is doing. (laughs) Like a falcon is like, oh my God, they're doing it. And a unicorn is like, get off my lawn. Like I miss the background animals that are just like, how dare yeah, or like like a bunch of horses, or sometimes there'd be like a panther or a dog that's unsettling, like an unsettling dog. There's oh, not yeah. enough of those. Do you have favorite covers? Um, yes, I do. So I like the Tom Hall covers the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his are kind of also like a little bit unsettling. Um, <laughs> I've read that they're like reminiscent reminiscent of French impressionists, which I Googled that it means like Monet, <laughs> but reminiscent. Uh, yeah. yeah, reminiscent. That's what I found on the internet. Um, but yeah, he did a lot of covers for like bodice rippers. Uh, he did the original cover for thorn birds. He did, um, uh, like Teresa Dennis's, yeah. uh, the silver devil, like that, like really creepy, awesome cover. That's probably my fave. I truly love the the very very end of i think they might be doing it on the cover 
<laughs> poses like I'm gonna sp- I'm gonna put in the chat for you one of my favorites because I just I want to make sure that you know of this cover. I had this cover on my bedstand when I so this is from 2006 and Smart Pitches started in 2005. So this is one of the first covers I ever got like a book from a publisher. Like I didn't know that was the thing publishers did by like the whole uh-huh. arc thing. Complete mystery to me. I had this yeah. on my bedstand because it made me laugh every time I looked at it. Is are they on a cliff? I don't know. But there's <laughs> they're they're fucking on some jagged rocks with a wave that is about to kill them. I just like it's amazing, I'm, I'm at a right? loss. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. Like I I just I'm just really thinking about his knees. Yes. Exactly. Like I think that's gonna cause some scrapes. And he's got his pants on, but like those those rocks seem extremely pointed. They like, seem threatening. My knees hurt just looking at that. Yeah, it's a little you know, good for him. Yeah, right. But yeah. this is uh, for those who will be listening. I'll obviously have this in the show notes. This is for the love of a pirate by Edith Layton. I think one of Edith Layton's latest or last books before she passed away. I love this cover. Like whenever someone's like, "Can you tell me? Like, give me an example of a cover?" I'm like, "Oh, just, just, just hang on. <laughs> we got waves. We got cliffs. We got rocks. And I think they're doing it." Yeah, it's so. It's like they didn't go for the beach. They weren't like no. they're not. They're not going to make love on the beach. They're going to make love on the rocks. He's very edgy. (laughs) (laughs) So on your TikTok, you have been doing a series on the myths and the mythology of TikTok and book sales. Um, And I have to tell you, I feel both incredibly, like, I love these videos. I think they're so interesting. And I love the way you pull from different sources in terms of analysis. They're brilliant. And I look at them and I'm like, oh my God, I've been doing this for 17 years and nothing has changed. It's just the platform. Yeah. So what are yeah. some of the ideas that you have been delightfully debunking? Yeah. So I think there are a lot of big feelings about TikTok and the publishing industry. And it's been kind of interesting to track. Yeah. Yeah. So people kind of associate book talk with rising book sales and have sort of framed it as a tastemaker in publishing. And that if something is going to get big, it's going to get big on TikTok. So therefore, like everybody needs to be on TikTok. Authors need to be on TikTok and something like that. Yep. Um, I think a lot of the grandiose claims about TikTok's purchasing power are dubious and that Articles that perpetuate these claims either cite each other or which kind of creates a loop where they trace their data back to BookScan, which is a subscription service that provides a faraway look at the data by way of like a handful of graphs that they give to journalists that don't really mean anything. So you look at these, uh, this information that they give you and they tell you that the correlation is causation and it's just supposed to make sense. But without kind of like being able to look at it, like the granular data, even if you were, I don't even think you would be able to track that like a view on TikTok translates into a sale. No. Like it just, it's, it does just really doesn't add up. The rise of book talk happened during the pandemic. Like um, that's kind of a, and there's this New York times article that came out like an early early March, like, uh, maybe not March, but it was like early 2020, like right in the beginning stages of the pandemic where they noted that, uh, sales for authors who were bestsellers, uh, and celebrity books were doing really, really well while new authors were struggling. 
So the big book talk authors were all authors that had um, that were had best selling books in the aughts. Like Taylor Jenkins Reid had yeah. multiple, Leah Bardugo had multiple, and they a lot of them also have fandoms too. Yes, this is something that um, I've kind of taken up from other um, book talkers have kind of pointed this out too. Is that uh, when people write about book talk, they sometimes they attribute things to book talk that are actually from fandom on TikTok, mm-hmm. like uh, Colleen. All Colleen Hoover fans aren't book talkers. No. Like they they are. Colleen Hoover fans, they make like Colleen Hoover fan content. Like that's not necessarily the same as someone from Book Talk coming on and saying, Hey, I read this book that nobody's ever heard of called It Ends With Us. So <laughs> it's like there is a portion of Tumblr on TikTok. There are very specific cohesive fandoms. And much like much like being on Tumblr, I am clearly an old, you know, you you find the fandom, you find all the people talking about the thing you love. The same is true on TikTok. Yeah, like there's like a huge Akatar fandom on TikTok. So that's kind of like uh, the the thing that people say about BookTok is, is if they go there, if they get on BookTok and they don't like train your algorithm is basically like once you interact with content, it starts to show you more similar content. Mm-hmm. So if you don't do that, primarily what you're going to be seeing is like Colleen Hoover or Sarah J. Moss. And that's and so that people kind of like conflate that while these like big viral videos. Um, and a lot of times too, it's quite interesting. If you go to the accounts of the people who have these big viral videos, they're not really regular book talkers all of the time. Nope. Um, they're just, they're, they're making fan content, which is totally fine, but it is, it's kind of, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of crazy to me that there are so many articles about uh, the power of book talk and all that book talk has been doing. And then it, it's, primarily about Colleen Hoover. And uh, there are other big authors too, authors that are very successful. And I don't want to say that book talk doesn't, isn't able to influence book sales, but Mm -hmm. I do, I, I think there's kind of no way to prove that. And I think that a lot of the ways that people are talking about it is I kind of, I kind of question the motive sometimes. Like, I wonder why this is such a compelling story. And I don't consider myself someone who makes content for authors, but I have had a lot of authors like reach out to me and be like, thank you so much um, for, yes. for for saying that uh, some something that like, this isn't your fault. Like yes. if you are on TikTok and you, you're not getting traction, like list, the, the way authors, the way that uh, people are primarily getting attention on, on book talk is, is kind of the same way that it's always been. It's arcs most of the time, advanced reader copies. Uh, Book talk is kind of uh, a little bit more married to the front list than I think I would like in some ways, because it's very easy to kind of mimic the organic feel of like a word of mouth book. If like a wealthy big five publisher puts all of their uh, power behind like a specific book and distributes like so many arcs. Yeah. It's grassroots, except that the grass is actually made out of hundred dollar bills. Yeah. It's just, (laughs) it's just like, so yeah, there's kind of like a lot of, a lot of things that are kind of dubious, the book sales. And then there's also book talk is saving Barnes and Noble is another big one. Um, which just, that one really frustrates me. What power and responsibility you guys have. Are you okay over there? Yeah. It's, you know, the weight of the world. It's just, it's fine. 
Yeah. yeah and, you, and, and that, that one's really funny to me because Barnes and Noble has uh, a lot of goodwill by way of not being Amazon mm-hmm. and by being the only physical bookstore in a lot of areas. And Barnes and Noble is kind of capitalized off of TikTok with, you know, their book talk tables and they have touted like James Daunt, their CEO has like publicly thanked book talk and said that this is kind of the reason that they've come back. It's not just that, though, because Barnes & Noble is one of the last remaining bookstores that is in so many locations. And also, it's going to be popular with young people because there are no spaces for young people to hang out in anymore. You're you're not supposed to congregate at the mall if you're a teen. Someone's going to call the cops. You can't hang out on the street. Someone's going to call the cops. When I was younger and my my friends who have teenagers, they go to to Barnes & Noble and hang out. There's a coffee shop in there. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's and it's so easy to uh, do a Barnes and Noble book haul because there's no really nowhere else to do it. It's kind of like it's uh, easy content. You don't have to buy the books. You can just like film yourself looking at the books and then talk about the books, Mm -hmm. uh, which Honestly, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's great. Um, I think I w- yeah, I would take more issue kind of with the Barnes and there are Barnes and Noble TikTok accounts where they uh, have their employees make TikTok videos, and that I block all of them. I hate that so much. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's. I don't know. They're not getting compensated for that. The devil, you say? Yeah, they're they're definitely not. One of the things that struck me, two things actually struck me as I was looking at your videos and I'm like, wow. Okay, one, we are still starved for accurate data inside publishing, whether you are an author, whether you are a reader, whether you are trying to figure out what a book actually sold. We're all still starving for accurate data and everything is the same, right? Like, okay. When I started blogging in 2005 about romance, so I was blogging before that, but when I started Smart Pitches in 2005 with Candy Tan, that was right at the start of book blogging. And authors were told at that time, okay, you need to start a blog. You need a blog. Blogs are important. You need to have a blog. And I was like, no, you don't. You really, unless, I mean, it, if you are good at TikTok, then you think, okay, I have an idea and I know how to make this visually. If I want to write something, I, that muscle is very strong. If you're busy writing books, you can't also maintain a blog. That's not universally applicable advice, but it was like, no, 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 you have to have a blog. And then it was Instagram. You need to have an Instagram. You need to have a Twitter. You need to have a booktube. You need to have, you need to be an influencer. You need to have this platform. That's never changed. It's staggering to me that people are like, oh, I need to be on TikTok. I'm like, well, you don't need to be on TikTok and you don't need to have a blog. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're exactly right. I think it's just kind of like, it's always, it's moving goalposts. Yes, it really, really is. And I'm horrified to see it happening over and over again. It's like, this is like the eighth thing people are told they need to have. Yeah. And, and, and TikTok too is kind of like, uh, I, I always, I always, I always feel like I, I come across as like a TikTok hater. Like I'm on BookTok. Like I, I like it obviously, but obviously. like, uh, but like I, it's, it's kind of a little bit more insidious to me to say that you need to be on TikTok because TikTok is not a level playing field. Like the algorithm is if it's like, is this nebulous thing? And no, there it's have been people. like credible. It's people. Yeah. They're picking stuff. Like they said yeah. so. <laughs> it's credible. There have been like credible allegations of racism and suppressing content. And so it's just like, uh, not, it's, it's just, it just feels really kind of awful to be like, this is a thing that you have to do and you have to be good at it. And this is how books sell now. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. No, 
yeah, there are so many people who are kind of just like unnecessarily mean in their criticisms of book talk. And so you get kind of that, like that, that defense, like, I believe there was an article in Lit Hub recent, recently, book talk is good actually. And the author of that piece's argument is essentially that you have to, you're kind of sad and pathetic and jealous of successful authors. If you aren't on book talk, like it's, I, I don't think that's helpful to anyone. Like even no. if you are a fan of TikTok or even if you are good at TikTok, which some people are and some people aren't, and it's totally fine. It's not, uh, it's not going to make or break your book. Yeah. It's absolutely true. These are some of the frustrations you have with TikTok. What do you love about TikTok? It's very low barrier to entry. That is fascinating so, to me. Yeah, yeah, you don't really have to have like um you don't really have to have everything figured out to, in order to get your videos seen because um the you don't have to have a following essentially like any video uh could potentially be put on the for you page which is the feed where people who don't follow mm-hmm. you see your videos. Uh, so my early videos uh, were like, I wouldn't be here without TikTok. I don't think anybody would be interested in, in talking to me or I wouldn't have kind of like developed my skill sets without it. Um, but my video early videos were a mess. I had shoddy oh. editing. Um, I didn't script. <laughs> uh, I had a very cheap ring light that made me look jaundiced. I stopped using, <laughs> I stopped using a ring light like maybe a few weeks in. I was just like, this is not working out. <laughs> I just have to hope for the best with the weather outside that's bright enough. Um, but yeah, people will tell you also like what you have to do on TikTok. And I think that can be kind of obnoxious. Like you, you have to have like really short videos. They have to have trending sounds. I didn't do any of that. Uh, all my videos are like three minutes plus. Yep. Um, I'm not really interested in, uh, creating digestible content it's made me really good at condensing my thoughts um, and, and editing and trying to pick out the absolute best words possible so that I'm not making like 10, 15 minute videos. My, I also don't talk about new books, which is kind of a thing that people say that you have to do. Um, Most of my, my most successful videos are about bodice rippers that are out of print. Oh yeah. I noticed that one of the things that TikTok did do is revitalize the backlist of authors. Now they were already popular. These are authors who are already known names, but there were books that were going back like maybe 10 years. And the my my theory has always been that if you haven't read it, then it's a new book. Yeah. With publishers, not like marketers and publicists, not a fan of that statement. But no, if you haven't read it, it's a new book. So it doesn't necessarily matter when it came out. If you're like, I got to tell you about this. Like, please tell me everything about this book from 1972. I want to know everything about it. Yeah, it's it's. It's so much fun to do because like you're, there's so much out there and it's also just like, it kind of opens up kind of the possibility of like what you can be talking about. You don't need to be going to Barnes and Noble. You could be going to that really smelly bookstore where they don't organize the books and they're all in like the brown bags. And you're searching for Topaz Man with his shirt. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I am always searching for him. (laughs) I used to Uh, hunt for what cover he was from until I realized, oh, that's a separate illustration. (laughs) <laughs> the one, the one on his, on the spine. Yes. Like, with the, with the white geez. shirt and the incredible hair. Yeah. I want, I want a shirt like that. Like I, I, I find it hard to get the sleeves right. Yeah. It's like part puffy shirt, part pirate shirt. Have you yeah. seen um, some of the old Rebecca Brandywine covers where she does her author photo on the back cover dressed as the yes. heroine on the front cover. I used to hunt for those in the used bookstore because I loved them so much. Like I loved the dedication. 
I, that is a level of extra that I've always aspired to. Like I, she's like, okay, the cover model can be on the front, but you'll be on the back. And if you think (laughs) about the amount of coordination, she had to have the ability to say to the publisher, I need to know what the dress looks like. I need to know what color it is. I need to see pictures of it because I'm having one made or I need to borrow the model's gown or like, how did that come to be? Yeah, no, that was so incredible. I love, I love those. (laughs) Please tell me about your Substack. I love reading it. I think it is so interesting. And I, and I love that it's almost sort of come back around to blogging. I think of Substack as dedicated personalized blogging because it's like a it's a it's an essay. It's a blog length essay, but instead of having it on a site, it's directed specifically to uh, people who want to who want to read it. And I love that you've gone with TikTok to Substack. I love this so much. Yeah. Um, so TikTok is a bit limiting because not every thought or idea I want to explore can be condensed into three minutes. Um, so the loose cravat was kind of born out of my desire to do long form work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the loose cravat because I'm a queer historical romance guy. So I wanted to like paint the picture that I care about history and I'm like thoroughly uninterested in refined neatness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually started with essays about my burnout on TikTok, uh, which is something that is kind of happens because the TikTok videos are, as I think I might've said earlier, they're ephemeral. Yes. Like they don't really have staying power the way that the other forms of social media do. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I wanted to write uh, like longer pieces about authors I'm interested in, like Teresa Dennis, or like kind of take out uh, like expand thoughts. Um, I have this big fear of being misunderstood, which happens on TikTok a lot and Twitter too. Twitter to me is scarier um, because I think sometimes a thought is something that I need to expand and think and sit on and not something that is maybe worth two sentences. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where I decided to to do that. Um, so I started writing things that like opinion pieces. Um, I started about how the writing about the romance industry and how it's changed, but more importantly, how it hasn't. Um, I think a lot of times uh, kind of a big interest of mine is, is, uh, kind of debunking the idea that progress is linear and like about some of like the, the maybe less empathetic thoughts that people have about the past. Like sometimes because I talk about older romance books a lot, I, people will usually kind of talk to me like a little, like a frame their conversation in a little bit of a condescending way to oh, yes. the romance readers. Extremely familiar. I know all the words to this song. Yes. Yeah. Let me, let me I, tell you what happens when I tell people what my job is. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Like a whole website? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like 17 years worth. Mm-hmm. Some things do not change in the general condescension to romance. It's sometimes I see it less, but it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it, it, it just, it, drives me crazy, especially from like romance readers who like are maybe not as familiar or not as curious or not very empathetic to older romance readers. Like, I think that bothers me. So, and we also erase a lot of cool history when we kind of pretend that everything now is better than everything then and kind of paper over modern problems that I think are worth addressing. I find a lot of times people who make big blanket statements are the ones who are the least curious or or helpful in fixing anything. So 
Um, but yeah, I'm interested in digging into thornier subjects, but hopefully with like an honesty that does them justice. What led you into this particular interest? The romance reader origin story is something I love, but it's always like, well, meandering. Yeah. So I, I think that I can kind of, so there is the, like, um, my, my mom, my mom read romance novels and she also wrote too. Um, but our, we didn't really overlap like in the hobby as much. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like during the pandemic is when I got really, really into, uh, romance, romance novels. And I think kind of, uh, what kind of made me when I am is probably reading a lot of bodice rippers and kind of like the books that are like so maligned for me, like there's a, a lot of them are like, kind of have like a little bit of elements of horror to them Oh yeah, for um, sure. that I really found appealing. And I liked thinking about them and, and that's kind of, I think that was kind of a turning point for me is when I started like digging more and more into like the past and like what people used to do and, and how things started and how, how people used to think, because I think for me, I, it didn't feel good yeah. when people would, when people would be kind of like, I don't know, a little bit snooty about it. Mm -hmm. or, this seems completely normal to me, but I know exactly what kind of reaction you get. I think that sometimes people are like, why are you spending so much time on this? And I'm like, because that's my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What are some of the most memorable romances that are no longer in print that you just love to think about? Judy Cuevas's uh, Bliss and Dance yes. are my absolute favorites. They're um, so perfect. Uh, so they're set in like the early 1900s France. Um, the first one, uh, Bliss, is about Nardi, who's like a sculptor. And the second one is about his brother, who's a duke. But picture me saying that with a C instead of the K-E because he's yes, a French he's duke. duke. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> um, yeah. And, and they're, they're just like, uh, both of them have like so much about art and like messy family relationships. I love Judith Ivory so much. I think that, uh, she's very, um, I think kind of something that can be kind of frustrating about a lot of romance novels for me, at least is that like, they're so tied to reconciliation and like, I, I love how she's kind of like, sometimes you hate a guy, but that doesn't mean that guy is awful that people just don't like other people. And that's like something that is weirdly comforting to me about her books. It's not really the point, like there's the romance, but uh, she's just so good with people. Her characters and characters by like Patricia Gaffney, they just oh. live in my head, right? They're just they're so emotionally realized. Like I know the popular trend is they're very fleshed out. They're very, they seem real, but they're so emotionally memorable and so emotionally nuanced that like they just haunt my brain. And I've read them like 10 more years ago. Yeah. No, the, the Wickerly trilogy, I reread those oh so gosh. often. Just like perfect series. I recommend, like everybody says that to have and to hold is like, uh, I don't, I don't, I think that book is extremely good. I actually think that book is feminist. Oh, yeah. I think I, well, I said that like it was like radical thing. No, that's, it is feminist. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's like got a lot of cool stuff and ideas about like prison and incarceration and like the type of women that get left behind. Yeah. But 
Um, but when people talk about it, they're like, oh, he's a bad man who did a bad thing. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's the point. That's kind of the whole thing, right? Yeah, that's the point. I, I do think that sometimes there's kind of like uh, a tendency to have uh, a lot of romance characters be more unequivocally good yeah. than they used to be. Yeah. And I and I think that's also kind of interesting because especially if with historicals and you get into the aristocracy, it's, I think it's like a little bit weird to, to have the aristocracy be the good guys. Oh, yeah. And and I think that is a little bit weird. Yeah, I do. Not that I don't enjoy it, but like I do kind of I kind of like the the older books where it, in some ways like they're like, yeah, he's the love interest, but he's also a horrible person. Oh, yeah. Because he's because kind of everybody in this position is in a way a horrible person. And it's interesting because there's so there's still so much wider range of accepted behavior for male presenting characters, heroes, than there is for female presenting characters and, and heroines, especially in historical. I think it was Lisa Kleypas. It's like they're, they're like Goldilocks's porridge. Not too hot, not too small, not too loud, not too mean, not too strident, not too anything. Just this very neutral even plain yogurt. Like there's not even a flavor. It's just a solid, massive person. People are really harsh about heroines. Like still, can, it's amazing yeah. to me. If I see someone on Goodreads call a heroine a bitch, I'm like, I am gonna love that book. Oh yeah. It's like uh <laughs> it's it's like if you see a book review that says this book had too much sex in it, like 60 readers just went, oh, I'm sorry, could you tell me the title again of the book that had too much sex in it? It's yeah. like, oh, it sounds like a Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you working on now? I am starting a podcast. Yay! I have, which is hard awesome. to do. Awesome. <laughs> Tell me all about yeah. it. So it's um it's called Reformed Rakes and it's with actually two other book talkers. So it's like a historical romance podcast for leftists, essentially. Oh, perfection. <laughs> Absolute perfection. Yeah. So we filmed like a few episodes uh, so far. So hopefully maybe sometime within like the month or so we'll get um, some things up. But yeah, that's kind of the that. Um, so yeah, it's called Reformed Rakes. And then also just my sub stack. I think I've been kind of putting a lot of uh, effort into my writing. And yeah. uh, it's kind of been kind of a nice outlet. So what books are you talking about? And who else is in this podcast? Uh, yes. So um, it's it's me, um, Beth. Uh, her, she goes by Beth Heyman Reads on mm-hmm. TikTok. Um, probably the most concise reviewer, and who does he's really good at giving like plots without spoilers. Like that she is can do like a, art. Yeah, that's she hard. Can, she can do like a very condensed summary of a book with no spoilers, and then also have like the criticism and commentary just like very neatly tied together. And then I'm um, also with Emma, uh, who's uh, M Kick on TikTok. So she's a uh, lawyer and law librarian. She also has a Substack called Restorative Romance. So what we first recorded is um, a series on Cecilia Grant. We're all huge fans. So I, good. I love that book, A Lady Lady Undone. I love that book because there's so much bad sex in it. Yes. Like there's it's, super hot conversations about land management and sheep <laughs> farming and the sex is terrible. So bad. They're having sex like almost the entire time. And it's like the so f- bad. <laughs> There's one point where he loses his erection. Yeah. Yeah. 
it is so good and, and it subverts so many things in so many ways. There's there's no shortage of things to talk about with that book. It's really, really good. And I, so yeah, we were, we're really excited about that one. So what books are you reading right now that you would like to tell people about? They're kind of related. Um, so I, on, I found accident because I bought these two books and the, yeah. Anyway, so I'm right now I'm reading The King's Breath by Constance Gloyus, and it's uh, a historical romance. It was published in 1972, um, which is kind of interesting because that was the same year as The Flame and the Flower. Yeah. Um, but this book wasn't like obviously not game changing in the same way. And it was published as a hardback from Prentice Hall, and they're like a, uh, they're more well known for their textbooks. So I don't think it was really sold as a romance novel, even though it, it totally is, but it wasn't really sold as one until, um, 79 when Warner picked it up and they, they, they gave it like a clinch cover that's like illustrated by Melissa Duilio and, uh, put it in a mass market. So now it's a romance novel, yeah. uh, even though it's the same. Um, but I, I picked it up because it, uh, I'm trying, I'm currently reading about like depictions of Newgate in romance novels and, oh, uh, and the first, yeah, the first like third, well, that's probably too much. The first like fifth is like all in, in Newgate and it's horrifying and gross and weird. I've I read another seventies romance novel that was like, had a lot of Newgate scenes, um, I feel like when Newgate kind of pops up nowadays, I don't think people are as interested as setting the scenes inside Newgate as yeah. they are like referencing Newgate, which is fair because it's kind of a horrifying place, not super romantic. Um, but yeah, it's like a restoration era and the heroine catches the eye of Charles II. Uh, as and you do? Yeah, you know, he, anyone could really. <laughs> he had a very I, roaming eye. He, yes, he was a... <laughs> He was popular. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, she like makes an enemy out of Barbara Villiers, which was his like kind of like famous mistress. Uh, sometimes I think she was also like late, known as Lady Castlemaine. Yeah. But I got this book at the same time that I got this other book called The Lives of the English Rake. Um, and there's like a whole chapter on Charles II. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. The author, Fergus Lenane, says that he was too nice to be a rake, which I didn't know. Romance novels taught me that rakes can be nice. So I mean, I I've like, seen many a nice rake. Yeah. What that's, is this definition? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's like a taxonomy of rakes you can do. Like there's like a different, there's like a dissipated, there's like the charming rake. There's like, like from what is it like Anne Gracie's the perfect rake? I always yes. think of that where they're like, um, reformed rakes make great husbands. Um, there's which the, like the, the scary cold rake, the crime, the, the, the crime mastermind rake who doesn't let anyone near them, but has lots of, lots of sex. Yeah. There's like the, the misogynist yes. rake. That's, yes. um, there's the, there's the, the charming one. Like we're told that Colin Bridgerton is the charming rake, but I have yet to see the evidence on paper, but like, I'm sure. Uh, you just call him anyway. a rake and it's true. Yeah. You, you can just say it. You, you can just say that he's charming. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, a lot of historical romance is a very, very fast shorthand because you're talking to an audience that is familiar with all of these pieces. So if you say this character's a rake, like, okay, I fill that in. I know what that means. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you definitely, you definitely do. But yeah, so I believe that Charles II was a rake, unless you exclude kings. <laughs> they also had a lot of sex. 
Yeah, he did. And and so did his mistress, Barbara Villiers. And she's like a she's kind of a villain in the romance novel that I'm reading, The King's Brat. But like she also pops up in this book and they're like, oh, well, she they didn't say that she wasn't a villain, but they said that she um, was a rake and yeah. that Charles didn't have any problem with that. So I thought that was pretty He's apparently very easygoing. I have a rake for you to read if you're interested in the recommendation. Yes, I am. Uh, I am. I am an inveterate fan of a lot of Edith Layton's books. I already showed you the 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 we, yeah. we, we, we have sex on edgy rocks. She wrote a book in like 1982, like early early 80s. It's called The Duke's Wager, and it's about a heroine who is pursued by two men who are both attractive and very desirable in society. And one of them, okay, this is this is the cover copy. You ready? All right, hold on to your headphones. One was Jason Thomas, Duke of Torquay, whose skill and success in seduction had made him a legend of lordly licentiousness. Oh, I love the alliteration. Right? <laughs> oh, so good. And the other guy is St. John Basil St. Charles, Charles, who's the devilish Duke's only rival as the foremost rake of the realm. And they decide to have a wager as to who's going to ruin this this girl, and it 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 takes a lot of clever turns. But they're they're two very different models of rake. That's awesome. Yes, two. So it's a triangle. Yes, yes. Oh, but it's not a love triangle where you're invested in both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so interestingly done. It's one of my favorite of her of her novels, and also lordly licentiousness <laughs> where can people find you if you wish to be found um yes so uh i am on tiktok uh the username is chels underscore ebooks and that's kind of my username everywhere there's two underscores on twitter because somebody is just sitting on that one i guess how how yeah but and then i'm, I'm also uh i write at the loose cravat it's the loose cravat.substack.com And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much to Chels for hanging out and telling me all the things. As I mentioned in the intro, I will have all of the links to all of the things that we talked about. But at the end of the interview, Chels mentioned, you know, there should be a taxonomy of rakes. There is now a taxonomy of rakes because Chels wrote one. And I will link to that substack in the show notes as well. As always, I end with a terrible joke. And this joke comes from my email inbox. This was sent to me by Caroline. I hope I'm saying that right. It could be Caroline, but I think it's Caroline. Caroline's seventh grader just told the most grown worthy joke and quote, I immediately thought that I should share it with you for the podcast. These are good thoughts and I commend this impulse. This joke is terrific. Are you ready? Why can't you run through a campground? Give up? Why can't you run through a campground? You can only ran because it's past tense. <laughs> past tense. That is an outstanding joke. Thank you, Caroline. And thank you to Caroline, seventh grader. That is that is that is top tier. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs>